You're listening to Making Global Learning Universal, conversations about engaging diverse perspectives, collaboration, and complex problem-solving in higher education, on campus, online, in local communities, and abroad. I'm your host, Stephanie Dosher, Director of Global Learning Initiatives at Florida International University and co-author of Making Global Learning Universal, Promoting Inclusion and Success for All. Uh, how shall I say, there is no timeline for awareness. Sometimes one can see that a person, almost on the facial expression or something that they say or a question that they ask, that one then says, wow, this is the moment where it's part awareness. So it, I don't think that awareness can be on a timeline or completely disconnected from perspective. Anna Bernardo Bricker is a senior instructor in FIU's Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering, I love working with Anna because she thinks so deeply about global learning course design. And that deep thought is really well expressed in the interview you're about to hear. She's constantly asking critical questions that are applicable to any course and in any discipline. Like how much time should be devoted to global learning? Should global learning be a module or sprinkled throughout the course? Should a global learning course be at the beginning of a program or as a capstone? How do you balance global learning with accreditation standards? As an engineer, she's especially grappling with whether she should start by teaching students technical skills and then ask them to apply them to complex problems, or start with the problem and drill down to the skills. Anna shares her answers to these questions, but there's really the greatest benefit in the questions themselves. Here's my conversation with Anna. So today we're going to uh, kind of explore the engineering course that you that you teach, that you developed. Tell us a little bit about the the title of the course and and your global learning approach to it. So the title of the course is um, Engineering for global sustainability and environmental protection. So as the years went by, I mean, naturally at the very first time, I already reflected quite a bit of of what it meant and on the differences between global sustainability and environmental protection. And so that's how um, I started, if you will, to develop the thrust for the curriculum itself. In in between that uh, difference, subtle but important difference between global sustainability and environmental protection. And and what are the the differences between so those specifically two um, in historically speaking, because also global learning in the sense of our earth and multicultural, multi uh, countries, uh, policies, politics, states, all of that, languages, as well as a global vision, a little bit of a bigger perspective, and that we're going to look at something not only necessarily and exclusively from the engineering point of view, but also from the other points of view, particularly the social, economic, political, a little bit of it. Some of the younger students feel very uncomfortable or not so comfortable with that. So I 
try to do as best as I can. One part, one specific module or learning objective is that we get straight the laws of environmental protection in the United States and how do they fit in the historical timeline, right? So we place, uh, I place uh, myself from geological times. I typically use the board for that. I go, well, if, if the earth will have been created on this side of the board, we only appeared at the end edge of the board. And that's gonna, that's our last 200 years of quote unquote civilization. That's where civil engineering comes into play. Uh, and um, and so in that perspective, then one sees then the old, we bring in the industrial revolution. So the oldest laws in that sense of environmental protection will be the British laws. And then they might have spread through Europe and then we have ours in the United States. So this is what you're gonna learn. We have these environmental protection laws, which were derived from, let's say the oldest one in terms of uh, uh, federal law, uh, um, it goes back to the 50s, really. And so then we go to these are the laws. So we do have a framework for environmental protection. And I go a little bit at their, um, I guess, age level or what they can understand. And what does that entail, for example, in thinking of where does the shirt that you're wearing uh, comes from without going into the concept of life cycle assessment yet. Just just basically we have environmental protection laws. Got it. So how is that different from global sustainability? Right. So how do you approach that balance? What are some of the, the teaching and learning strategies that you use to enhance your students' global awareness and perspective and, and especially their engagement in this so engineering That's course? actually very difficult, super difficult, because um, in terms of the Abbott, we, I mean, uh, environment, uh, uh, let's say engineering programs really only have a value if they are Abbott accredited. So in order to meet both criteria, it, is, it has been very, very challenging. And that remains a challenging part of it. And, and I must say, maybe this is not a good way to start, but I must say that sometimes I actually feel inadequate about it in the sense that I've also seen that in, in other, uh, specifically in biomedical and, and electrical engineering, the global learning course is the senior design. So sometimes I have, I have thought to myself, would that be the best place for it uh, and and I'm actually not sure because again I'm very proud of what I do in my class but there is that um, very real challenge of how much time even in terms of time should it be to one and the other for example the other um, global learning course that I had the opportunity to teach as um, as a substitute, if, we, if you will, last semester, I know I, I then firsthand noted how difficult it would be to prove, right, or to have the metrics to say students have reached level of, um, of awareness just by doing this little task or this little thing. So not really very realistic. So in sum, in the um, global sustainability course, uh, what I do is that the one thing that is really technical is life cycle assessment. Uh, and even that, if one were to focus just on that, which I have thought about uh, about doing, I will reflect on that now in, in the during the summer about that, um, then um, that's really the, te the technical part, right? The part in which there are either, at, at the moment, instead of being 
calculations is more like analyzing data from high quality peer-reviewed articles that use life cycle assessment methodologies or software packages to analyze a very specific engineering situation and make conclusions about it. Right. Right. So when I think about engineering, and, and remember, I am a, I'm a kindergartner when it comes to this. I know next to nothing about about <laughs> your field. I I once was married to a, 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 a gentleman who has a mechanical engineering degree, but you know I, I'm just I'm really a, 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 a complete neophyte. <laughs> so when I think about engineering, I think calculations. Yes. I think drawing boundaries around problems, right. figuring out how to actually take out variables so that you can focus on just a very few variables in order to make something stand up like a bridge or right. make some or build a building so how do we kind of make things less complex if you will simplify so that we can solve the problem but that's not what global learning is all about global learning is about bringing in as many variables as you said from the top, exactly. really putting things in a much more complex perspective. So, how, how and do I we think that it should that? Be, it's important that it should be made from the very beginning, and 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 that's why I find I find difficult in in this way, right? So let's summarize a little bit my the opportunity that I have of viewing in it from as a global learning as a module of a course versus as a course. So as a module of a course, right, mm -hmm. the focus was on the equations and on the principles. So there is mass balance and we need to learn this and to learn that we need to drill and we need to practice many times. We need to look at the equation itself, see how the equation applies in specific, under specific um, given and, and, uh, and how to even units, because this is a 3,000 level course, right? So it's a completely different, very narrowly focused perspective. And it must be that way, because students must learn those concepts, most understand them, and most apply them, and most learn to do that cycle of learning, understanding, and applying in a very systematic way. Right. So when one is thinking in that way, then it becomes a little bit of an oddball that all of a sudden there is this assignment that's asking me to look at this or, or that or to watch the movie home. And I think that they learned. I think that every experience can be taken as a learning experience. But I was left with doubts as to the level of learning when a rubric is applied, which I do use rubrics a lot. I've actually learned to use them for almost every class. Oh, um, we're, we're going to definitely talk about yeah. the, the rubrics piece. So if I hear you correctly, mm -hmm. what you're saying is if, if we think about global learning as simply one module in the course, just we're going to do mostly drill and practice through the course. It's going to be very technically oriented. And just at one moment, we're going to take a globe, more open look or contextually based look at, at some of these problems. You weren't convinced that students were really leaving with the, the kinds of outcomes or the systemic view that, that you wanted them to, to get. But, if, but then when you thought about the whole course as a global learning experience, that was a different 
that was a different perspective on course design for you? That's a good uh, paraphrasing of what I said, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I really, I wasn't sure, right? By just, it could have been that I did awoke awareness in you, but I'm not completely sure because it's even difficult to measure that, using quote unquote measure that, if you're just doing let's say global the developing a course from the global learning uh, perspective but from the technical perspective it was difficult it was more like one more module right whereas right. in this case again for the from the perspective of global learning is first how did we how did these environmental uh, problems became a thing in the map how did that's why i became in love actually with the title right how did the environmental protection became um, an item and then what is uh, developing for global sustainability so how do you sprinkle global learning throughout your course rather than just having it in one module so that said that it, the the course is developed as a global learning yeah. course and what is difficult is to uh to the, there there is the reverse right is how to find the niche for the technical portion oh. without it becoming a struggle either because in technical courses already one of the problems that we have is that students may be at all different learning levels so even if I give you an equation and all the givens and all the givens have uh, units, right? And you all have to do is put the numbers in the equation and, and get a, a number, right? Do the calculation. Even there, not all students are in the same place, right? right? And this is on a technically oriented class. It takes a while to get there. So imagine now, right? On a course that might require like complex calculations, if we spend weeks on that or different days on that, it's not going to work out. So like I said, the way that I have found so far the balance is that the uh, uh, concepts are important for me and I emphasize that a lot, right? So we start with, uh, and in that way I must say the textbook has been somewhat valuable in, in helping reframing uh, that. Uh, so we start with ecosystem services. So that's a concept that um, it's a concept. It's a very fundamental concept in, in sustainable development. So we start with ecosystem services and we, we view at the resources that nature has to offer, not only as resources, but as services that the ecosystem can lend if we leave the ecosystem working intact. We start with ecosystem uh, services, then we go into that one specific service that uh, that nature offers, and that is of resources. Uh, and then we go into the categorizations of resources according to their um, renewability. How long does it take nature to renew uh, specific resources? And even one resource, how it can be complex to determine whether it is uh, renewable or non-renewable, as for example, we have water, which we tend to think of on the global cycle as fully renewable, but then we also have 
Uh, we also have groundwater, which we call fossil groundwater, and it's understood to have been formed on a geological time, which means that if it is withdrawn at a rate which is much larger than the slow rate in which in some parts of those aquifers the water replenishes, then we will run out of that resource as well. So, so again, uh, ecosystem services as nature providing not only resources that we harvest, but also a whole a whole series of supporting services, regulating services. For example, the interaction between the water and the atmosphere is a regulating service. So if one messes up the equilibrium in one, that interferes with the other in ways that we don't fully understand. So viewing nature as a system. Then resources, that's the second materials, resources and materials. Then when we get to material, also getting priming students' mind into them viewing waste as part of the material that needs to be managed. Okay, so I am a neophyte, as I said before. <laughs> Sorry. And, and what I, no, I, I, I think I really get this. Okay. I think you're explaining this in terms of how you think about it as a as a teacher, right? So we talked about the fact that your students have specific technical skills. They need to understand how to do those formulas and get the right number in the end. They do. But, right, but you're <laughs> starting by embedding those formulas within a, a, a complex and systemic view of nature, of, of, of the globe. So you begin by thinking about um, all of the different types of resources and services, if I hear you correctly. Correct. And then you drill down, if you will, into a more specific one, one resource, but you also enable the students to start thinking about complexity even within that one specific resource. So they're seeing complexity within the simplicity and also starting to think about secondary impacts and and other connections when and interactions and it seems to me that that's directly applicable to when the students start to drill down into the specific formulas I hope so. Yeah. 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 So, so and, and because unfortunately in this particular course there cannot really be specific formulas. Mm-hmm. So the numerical part comes more into analyzing the data and what do the Ah. numbers mean. Mm -hmm. So after materials, we move into energy, sources of energy, and their impact on the environment, so thereby environmental protection. Uh, and, And then after that, life cycle assessment. And so the life cycle assessment, by that time though, is about the half of the semester. Mm-hmm. Right, in priming the mind, and hopefully the students draw, draw the connections that you have made. <laughs> yeah. Again, I want to start from the ground, more or less, because those are the fundamentals. So by the time we get to life cycle assessment, that is a complex mathematical tool that allows to assess and evaluate the environmental impact of several stages of production from the mining of the materials from earth to the 
a, a modification of those materials from earth into something that can be used to as a prime material to manufacture something to then manufacture it to the uh, uh, the global trade in how we use airplanes trucks trailers vessels and share pollution right on a global basis to transport and move around these goods and then uh, the end of what we call the end of life of the product and what's going to happen to it the one thing that the students can do is assess and evaluate on a holistic manner in something that is called streamlined life cycle assessment. That's an, an exercise that actually students over the last two or three years have liked a lot. And that is actually semi-quantitative. It's just a matrix of, um, of the stages versus the environmental impact on material, energy, and then air, water, and soil and toxicity. Uh, so that's core, right, life cycle. And then after that, it comes sort of uh, one important one is the um, LEED certification, as well as other certification, one more recent one, the Envision certification, which sort of takes these principles of a sustainable um, engineering, engineering for sustainability, takes the core 12 principles that were developed in 2003 and that most people in the profession accept, and how are they then applied and packaged, if you will, into a lead accreditation. Right. Yeah. So a, a certification, actually, of buildings. Uh, so that's a, a topic as well. But you don't just leave it as a topic on the page. You actually take your students into a LEED certified building when you can. It's, yes, correct. And that has been very enriching for the students, right? And and the best way is to take to the, them to the buildings that we have on campus and how that represents also our commitment to sustainability, to invest in, in, those, in those buildings and to learn from, uh, from them, to learn from those. Right, because, yeah. you know, our students, they, you, they can't necessarily get in a car or a bus or, or a train to go across town. You make use of the resources that we have here, right here on campus. Correct. That's been very important to me. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. And so then how do you have students kind of tie all of this up together at the end of the course? Like, well, <laughs> on the engagement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, sometimes it's difficult to see what is the, you know, there are specified assessments so that I don't go crazy, right? Through which I measure awareness and perspective and engagement. But there is also a, a blurred line. So there is no time, uh, how shall I say, there is no timeline for awareness. Sometimes one can see that a person almost on the facial expression or something that they say or a question that they ask that one then says, wow, this is the moment where it sparked awareness. So it, I don't think that awareness can be on a timeline or completely disconnected from perspective. But in the end, though, so, so, so basically um, I have relied, I think it was, uh, let's see, uh, yeah, two years. So this is the third time that I use what I call collaborative writing. And I would like to learn myself more in terms of professional development, more about that myself, because I've done it in a very uh, rudimentary way. Um, honestly, I don't even know exactly where the idea sparked. <laughs> would you believe it? That's beautiful. That's a little global <laughs> learning right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
um, in fact, one time, uh, I've only, unfortunately, attended or been able to attend two professional development from global learning. One of them was the mandatory one at the beginning. And then another one was one, uh, um, I think it was two years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, over by the library. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, there I brought up in our sharing the fact that in this collaborative writing uh, um, um, adventure that I went into, um, that I, I was trying different groups every time. And I think some of the comments were like whether that could be throwing off because students will not really have the time to become teams. Mm-hmm. Now, I also teach a laboratory course, right? Mm-hmm. So in the laboratory course, the groups, some of the groups do become teams and others not. Mm-hmm. Group and teams are really different things. But I actually learned from our sharing in that professional development that you can meet a group of people now. We all prepare or read a certain thing, and then we share. So it does, And it doesn't need to be the same people every single time. It's just a different experience. So long story short, this semester I actually did try to have the same writing groups uh, meeting, and we, we are on our um, sixth uh, writing assignment. And I actually think that both myself and the student like it better when the group wasn't necessarily the same. Yeah, every single time. So um, so anyways, I do collaborative writing. And what uh, does that look like, collaborative writing yeah, versus exactly. yeah, non and, and what's interesting is that is that the students actually like it, even though I think that they're concerned about their individual grade, but I keep on reassuring them that I keep the global perspective on it. So each of these assignments always starts with a uh, individual accountability, and that is a quiz on the specific uh, preparation material. So there is a quiz and the quiz is individual. So I um, more or less keep track of who in the group was really well prepared for the collaboration. Uh, And then the writing has writing prompts. And so far I have not been able, I felt a little bit unfortunate about that to have calculations, right? So it's more about logical uh, reasoning, uh, verbal reasoning using or it could be classification, categorization, or discussion, and then a reflection, a collaborative one-only reflection. And interestingly, students actually, again, is, is, they like it. Could yeah. you describe, if you will, just one prompt? What, 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 what kind of prompt elicits that kind of collaboration? So it's, it, even myself, I'm surprised of how well it can work because um, it can be difficult, right? But um, so let's take, for example, the um, systems thinking. Okay. So before I go into, or, or uh, but in this particular semester, it was right after ecosystem services. I had I spoke to them. I spoke to the students about. In, uh, system thinking, like what the, what that entails. I had a, a prompt about the Nova um, documentary, and it was over the um, Martin Luther King holiday. So they just watched it and had some questions to think about in preparation for the um, for the class uh, collaborative um, 
a collaborative writing. So that one was a, a warmer up, I will say. And the prompt was uh, to describe in a diagram and with words, both diagram and with words, two specific cycles and interconnections. So in terms of systems thinking, I had a lecture before and one after the assignment. And then subsequently, I also had a, another assignment about systems thinking per se and how it could be applied to one of two systems that I proposed. And so in that second assignment, uh, the prompts were to pick either a water distribution system or a uh, transportation of goods systems and to describe it again, to create a diagram and to describe the inputs, outputs and interconnections for that particular prompt. So um, beautiful. Yeah. So you have students in these groups. How about how big are the groups? So uh, three or four, no more than that. Okay, so right. we have three or four, and they're doing this within the confines of the class. Correct. They're developing the, and I would imagine that some groups might start with the words and then move to a diagram, and some groups might start with the diagram and then move to the words. That is correct. And what I found fascinating about the systems thinking one was that I think that some of them comprehended the difference between a flowchart diagram and a, a diagram that represents systems thinking. Beautiful. Yeah, how a flow, that, that I don't think that they comprehended it, neither what I said, that there was a difference between these two things, nor when um, they were not encountered with the prompt and having to think about, okay, first we put it in little boxes and in sequences of processes from beginning to end, mm -hmm. and then we see what are the connections in between the, the boxes and between the processes. And that was actually very illuminating, I thought, for a couple of groups that chose the option of um, water distribution systems. Some of them, because the, the, the students in the course still persist to be different. Some of them are junior, some of them are senior, some of them are in civil and environmental engineering, have taken this prerequisite or not, uh, right? There are all different levels, right? Even some of them who were used to seeing flowchart diagram, they understood, I could tell by what they asked and by the looks or expressions in their faces, how they had not considered interactions between certain parts of that flowchart, as well as interaction with other systems. Okay, so there are a couple of things that I'm hearing that I think okay. are really interesting. One is, the course is about resources and services. And what you've done, if I hear you correctly, okay. is taken the fact that you have all of these students coming from at different levels and coming from different perspectives in terms of their engineering perspective, and you're making that a resource. Apparently, I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then another thing that I find very interesting, mm -hmm. especially coming from an engineer, is that you're giving power and legitimacy and validity to assessing students, the evidence being that aha moment and the way it shows up on their face or a question that they ask or just the energy in the room. It doesn't necessarily just have to be about a score on a test 
or a score on on a rubric, although you do use rubrics. Oh, I do use rubrics for this writing assignments. You're using multiple Mm -hmm. sources of evidence as resources to gather how students are bringing these very complex ideas together and also the global context with the specific skills and, and knowledge base that they need to to master as engineers. Exactly. So if you would share a little bit more about how you use rubrics. So you've talked a little bit about how you, you know, you're looking for these these aha moments in students' faces and the kinds of questions that they ask, but how do you balance that with rubrics, which in themselves they're making qualitative evidence into quantitative evidence? I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a challenge. But but um, and it actually takes quite a bit of time to refine a rubric specific to the assignment so that just by reading the rubric, the students can see what can they do right. in a realistic manner. Right. That is absolutely best practices for using rubrics. Yeah, exactly. So they're important that way to describe exactly what will an A or a B or a C look like. An excellent, that's how you know, excellent or um, or good or proficient will look like for that specific assignment. What elements should it contain? So, for example, for both the assignment uh, that was associated to the NOVA uh, documentary, as well as for the assignment that was associated to systems thinking. For those assignments, there were requirements of having both a diagram that showed certain complexity as well as descriptive words with some explanation on the Nova documentary one that system thinking didn't need much. It was more like descriptive. So those verbs are utilized and they're also, I explained them to the students even further, although I go through a great length to use the specified language and words that will convey to them to pick a level and then maybe build up from from there, depending on how they view their own resources in their group to be. Right, Right. so Mm -hmm. you're asking students to think about their peers as resources. Yes, I think so. I think that that's what I actually try to elicit that they do. Fantastic. Mm. So this Nova documentary. I like Referred it, right? to it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. What is it about this particular film? Because I, I know that you are very thoughtful about whether or not you use films in the classroom or students work with them outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And you're very thoughtful about which films you choose as mm-hmm. resources for the class. Kind of unpack your thought process around that piece. That, mm-hmm. So um, in class per se, I do not use videos, just clips that are at uh, most one to three minutes in length and never more than twice. So I think that in class, they must hear from me, if anything, or uh, explaining or clarifying something about the assignments that they do and things like that. So this particular NOVA documentary came out in 2013. It's two hour long. And because I began to teach the course the first time in 2014, and I was looking for sort of a a focal point, I saw it myself first. And then I said, I think that this could really be a good starter piece, a good opener. Um, And because the course is in the spring and and, uh, one of the Mondays coincides with Martin Luther King, I said that would be given, right, a good thing to watch on Martin Luther King. Yeah. So this, this documentary, it focuses on the space program and on the value 
that that space program has brought in understanding the interconnection among the Earth systems, about the hydrosphere, the lithosphere, the, the lithosphere, the um, the atmosphere, yeah. and particularly between the atmosphere and the hydrosphere. So this is that so, big blue marble correct. image that we have. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But it shows, so um, it is centered a lot on weather, but it ends up in the, in the last portion how it emphasizes how that interaction between the water, between the oceans and the atmosphere creates a balance of temperature in the atmosphere. But again, there are interactions both ways. The ocean waters as well as the, the, uh, the ocean interacting with the atmosphere and the atmosphere interacting uh, with the ocean. And so it brings up the topic of climate change, but it is not the center topic of it. So it allows the students to see the interconnections and interactions among the Earth systems in a somewhat unadult, uh, unadulterated way. So the centerpiece of the documentary is the Earth, not so much the human impact. And that's what I, I want them to see first, how the Earth systems, Earth systems are interconnected in ways that we do not fully understand. I have to ask you, when do you show that in, in your course? Because it, there's a big debate. I don't know if it's a debate so much, but if there's a conversation in different disciplines and in global education and in education writ large about how do we pace a course? How do we developmentally lead a student towards complex thinking? Do we begin with the complex picture and then throughout the course drill down and analyze it or or begin with this complex picture that becomes a cognitive framework, if you will, for students to take in the more specific information? Or do we begin with the most basic components and then end with a film like that? Or is there another way? How do you pace that that um, within your course? Interestingly, in this particular case, it was because of the holiday and the fact that I'm mindful that to present such a long video, the best time would be at the beginning. So if you will, I picked it for logistical reasons, right? right? If you ask students at this time in the semester, for example, to do something like that, it, yeah. It, Forget then, about it, yes, too much exactly. work. This would yeah. be like what, you know, what we've discovered about communication and body language and words, that the words might get lost in the body language. So here, the essence of the movie will be lost on the complete stress of, right? It will not work. So in that sense, though, I do bring in, as I explained with my uh, using the board as a physical time, historical timeline right? in showing that towards the end of the border of the, um, uh, of the borders when we come into the picture as a civilization, in the same way with, the, with this movie, right? So start with the big, but then we dissected, uh, as I said, into ecosystem services and then materials, focus on the materials, energy, and then life cycle assessment, which goes back to look at what our current reality or a current object and think or link back to where it came from. Mm -hmm. So you said you fell in love with this course. <laughs> what, what was that like to start off 
kind of struggling with what is the meaning of this course? How am I going to approach <laughs> it? And then to fall in love with it. What, what was that like for you? I think that might be an interesting thing to explore as a person and a professional. Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, most likely. I, I need some time, actually. No, that's to okay. Think of, yeah. It's been transforming, and you, and you have actually helped, I appreciate that, to listen to me a few times over the phone when I've had questions for you, right? Um, including clarifying what is awareness and, and perspective, how to differentiate them clearly and how you've I guess agreed with me that sometimes might not necessarily be that clear cut right? how one perfects the other. Uh, and the realization that awareness is awareness of self first and, and of one position in the world. So when it comes to sustainability and sustainable development, that also means two different things, sustainability and sustainable development. But the best form of engagement probably comes, and that's one that one can never be sure whose heart has one really awoken, right, is sustainability. If you become a human being who really lives frugally, uh, and that promotes that voice at whatever level you may be proficient at, then I think that you have really become aware in the sense of being awake. And then maybe one could really incite some change in, in others. So the first thing then is to become aware of self and how to teach that to others being <laughs> It's a challenge, yeah, it's a continuous challenge. But it is a challenge that you have uh, really bravely and courageously and vulnerably and openly embraced and... I think that I have embraced it. I must be quite candid in saying that this collaborative writing, I I am nervous, right, every time that we're gonna have one, but what you mentioned about the energy in the room is sensible. And I wish that I had a helper maybe, but I don't, so I navigate my way around and I listen to what they're doing and and I clarify so they're actually immersed in the work. There is no talk about any other spurious thing. They're really concentrated and out of that being concentrated in what they're doing, a good product comes out, a good to excellent product comes out. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing how you have developed this course, especially in engineering, because it is such a challenge to balance the, the requirements of um, the technical knowledge the technical. in engineering, the, the accreditation standards, but also what you know is, is best for students and, mm-hmm. and best for the earth. Mm-hmm. Thanks so yeah. much. For listening to this episode of Making Global Learning Universal. This podcast is brought to you by FIU's Office of Global Learning Initiatives, Media Technology Services, and our Disability Resource Center. You can find all our episodes, show notes, transcripts, and discussion guides on our webpage, globallearningpodcast.fiu.edu. And if this episode was meaningful to you, please share it with colleagues, friends, and students. You can even give it a rating on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in and for all you do to make global learning universal.